The Protestant Reformation, then and now, takes you on an exciting spiritual journey that explores church history in the 1500s, Bible prophecy in these last days, and the mighty issues facing each one of us today as we await the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Enjoy these eye-opening presentations with Pastor Steve Wolberg of Whitehorse Media. Welcome to part four of our series about the Protestant Reformation then and now. This program is called An End Time Reformation Predicted in Prophecy. Let's have a quick prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we pray in the name of Jesus for your blessing. This is your time. We pray for the Holy Spirit to speak to every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here we go. In parts one to three, I focused on Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, which occurred over 500 years ago in Europe and England. History tells us that the Reformation was actually a protest against traditions which the Roman Catholic Church brought into Christianity, which led away from the Bible and from its clear message of salvation, not by meager human works, but through simple faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Reformation actually became a mighty movement to reform the church and to bring Christians back to believing the Word of God above the teachings of the Pope. In part three, I read a very powerful quote from a history book called History of the Reformation of the 16th Century by Merle Daubigny, found on page 215 of that book. If you're interested in the book, you can uh, Google it or find it on Amazon. Because this quotation is uh, so powerful, it's so important to our topic and, and to all of our lives, I'm going to read it again very, very slowly. So I want you to listen carefully. This is Daubigny's book, The History of the Reformation of the 16th Century, page 215. It says that, Martin Luther proved by the revelations of Daniel and St. John, by the epistles of St. Paul, St. Peter, and St. Jude, that the reign of Antichrist predicted and described in the Bible was the papacy. And all the people did say, Amen. A holy terror seized upon their souls. I'm still quoting. It was Antichrist whom they beheld seated on the pontifical throne. This new idea, Daubigny says, which derived greater strength from the prophetic descriptions launched forth by Luther into the midst of his contemporaries, inflicted the most terrible blow on Rome. Wow, what a quote. Uh, I think it's safe to say that most Christians today are just completely unaware of the fact that the Reformation was not only fueled by Martin Luther and others preaching the gospel of Jesus, but it was also fueled by the direct, straightforward preaching of many Bible prophecies, as Daubigny points out, that pinpointed the Roman Catholic Church specifically as an anti-Christ organization. Uh, and I'm not making this up, really, I'm not. You can Google it, you can do your own homework, and the facts are there. It is a, a truth that Luther and countless other reformers interpreted the little horn of Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, that had a mouth speaking great things, as the Roman church. 
they interpreted Paul's prediction in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 about a falling away, which means an apostasy and the rise of a man of sin as applying to the Pope. They interpreted John's predictions in 1 and 2 John that Antichrist would come out from within Christianity to subtly deny the Father and the Son uh, as applying to Rome's teachings that in order for sinners to be saved, they must come to God, not through his Son alone, but rather through priests, dead saints, and the Virgin Mary. They interpreted the prophecy of the book of Revelation, chapter 13, verse 7, about a beast that would make war against the saints as applying to the Roman Catholic Inquisition that did torture and murder millions of so-called heretics. They also interpreted the stirring prophecy in Revelation chapter 17 about a wealthy harlot woman who is also called a mother named Mystery Babylon, who was decked in gold, riding a beast, sitting on seven hills, drunk with the blood of the saints, and who ruled over kings as applicable to only one organization, to the Mother Church, which is the Roman Catholic Church system. Now, once again, just to clarify for the record, I think this is so important for all of us to understand. As I mentioned in part three, uh, none of this, then or now, was an attack on sincere, godly Roman Catholic people. And I certainly don't mean this as an attack on them either. But rather, it was a challenge to the Roman Church system itself. Remember, Luther, he started out as a Catholic priest. He preached to Catholics, and it was actually millions of sincere, grace-seeking, honest Catholics who, after hearing and understanding these very truths, joined the protest, left the Catholic Church, and became Protestants or Protestants. Again, this is a fact of history. Now, since it was clearly Bible prophecy that the Holy Spirit used to help fuel the Protestant Reformation, we must ask today, does Bible prophecy predict another final end-time Reformation in these last days that will help prepare men, women, and children for the glorious second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with billions of holy angels? The answer is a definite yes. Bible prophecy does predict this in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 12. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up God's holy word, that, that sacred book which millions of martyrs have given their lives for and shed their blood for. Open the Bible to Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 12. I've got my Bible right in front of me, and I'm going to read these verses, so please listen carefully. Verse 6 says, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell upon the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Verse 9 says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, 
The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now listen, we know that these three angels' messages predict an end-time reformatory movement in the last days right before Jesus Christ returns because immediately after these messages are given in chapter 14, verses 6 to 12, verses 14 to 16 describe the final glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ on a white cloud to reap the harvest of the earth. Let me read verse 14. Verse 14 says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Verses 15 and 16 say, And then another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time is come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat upon the cloud thrust in his sickle upon the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now let me just uh, put two and two together and stress these facts. In Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, the greatest book on Bible prophecy ever written, in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 12, we have a description of three holy angels proclaiming messages all over the world. And then right after that, in verses 14 to 16, we have a description of Jesus Christ returning on a white cloud with a sharp sickle. So, Again, when you put uh, two and two together, hopefully you'll get the picture. We have three angels' messages followed by the second coming. Got it? Three angels, second coming. I'll say it again. Got it? Three angels, second coming. Now, this doesn't mean that three angels are going to be literally flying over New York or Los Angeles or Tokyo or Paris or any one of the... um, cities around the world. This is not what prophecy is predicting. Revelation is a book filled with sacred symbols. We have a symbol of a beast rising out of the sea. We have a symbol of a woman riding a seven-headed ten-horned beast and sitting upon seven hills, drunk with the blood of the saints. We have all kinds of symbols in Revelation. These are sacred symbols that must be interpreted through the Holy Spirit and through careful Bible study. And when you read Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 to 12, very carefully and compare these passages with other verses in the Bible, it becomes clear that the three angels' messages represent God's end-time reformatory movement led by people who read these messages, who receive these messages, who are purified from sin by these messages, and who then share them with others through the power of the Holy Spirit, just like I'm trying to do the best I can right now. And as you listen to the words that I've just read from Revelation chapter 14, 6 to 12, I I can't help but wonder, do you hear the call of God upon your heart? 
It's true, God did raise up Martin Luther over 500 years ago, but that was a long time ago. That was then. What about now? If you listen carefully to what God is saying to your heart, you will hear the call, his call, not my call, not any church's call, but God's call to embrace the three angels' messages today. Personally, I've been a Christian for almost 40 years. I became a Christian in 1979. I was living in Southern California. I grew up in a Jewish home. Uh, We didn't read the Bible. I never read the Bible until I was 20 years old. I, I became lost as a teenager in a life of drugs and wild music and parties and alcohol and just uh, just destructive living. And when I was 20 years old, somebody gave me a book on the life of Jesus. I read that book. I started reading the Bible. I was eventually gripped by the Garden of Gethsemane and by what happened to Jesus on the cross. And when I saw Jesus suffering in the garden and when I saw what he went through on the cross, I tell you, it just... I, I, I had never seen anything like that before. And I saw this man hanging upon a cross, and I just, I decided in my heart that he's the one that I want. This is the man that I want to give my life to. So I got on my knees, and I accepted Jesus, and I tell you, I've never been the same since. Uh, God has been working with me for almost 40 years. And since I became a Christian, I have been gripped by Bible prophecy, and I guess the main thing was to to realize that Jesus not only came once in fulfillment of prophecy, he wasn't only born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of prophecy, he, didn't, uh, he wasn't just betrayed by a friend in fulfillment of prophecy for 30 pieces of silver in fulfillment of prophecy, he didn't just die between two thieves in fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, die for all of our sins in fulfillment of prophecy, and then rise from the dead in fulfillment of prophecy. But he went to heaven, and Bible prophecy predicts that he's going to come back again. He's going to come back and raise the dead and transform the living and, and take his people up to glory. And just that whole idea, it just got a hold of me. And I've been studying prophecy for, as I mentioned, almost 40 years. And I still remember being at my dad's house in Studio City, California, And I was there, and I had just become a Christian, and I began reading Revelation chapter 14. And I read the three angels' messages, and I was just gripped by them. I was gripped by the whole idea of an hour of judgment and the importance of worshiping the Creator and the fall of Babylon and the rise of a beast who would eventually enforce a deadly mark and how God was calling people to to become part of his saints who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus before, before the second coming. And I remember uh, laying on my dad's couch reading the Bible, and I was struggling over this, and I was tossing back and forth. And I remember just sensing this call that God was calling me to give my life to Jesus uh, in, in a deeper way and to give myself to him to communicate the three angels' messages, to study them and to share them. And I remember wrestling with this and saying, uh, Lord, is this really what you want me to do? And finally I said, I just shouted out loud or said it out loud, okay, God, I'll do it. I'll do it. I will do my best to share the three angels' messages with others. And uh, boy, that was almost 40 years ago. And God has opened door after door after door for me to share these messages on the radio, on television, uh, through seminars, through books that I've written. And I'm just in awe of what God has done. And I know that the three angels' messages represent his power message, his reformation message in these last days. 
And let me just uh, briefly walk you again through some of the points of these messages in the light of Reformation. The first angel in Revelation 14, verse 6, talks about the everlasting gospel. I tell you, God is calling us to be reformed from any other message that claims to be able to save our souls. There's only one message that can save sinners from sin, and that is the message of Jesus, who gave his life on the cross for the sins of the whole world and who rose from the dead. The first angel's message also tells us to fear God. Very clearly, Revelation 14, 7, with a loud voice, it says, fear God. And that means to put him first above every other human being. And today, God is calling us to reform our ways if we are putting people or priests or pastors or anyone uh, above his word. God is to be number one. Fear God is the message of the first angel. And then it continues and says, give glory to him. God has convicted me in so many ways that uh, I have a heart that needs a lot of humbling. And if we are uh, proud in any way, if we're in the habit of exalting ourselves, God is calling us to reform our ways and to live for his glory. Fear God and give glory to him, the Bible says. The first angel then continues and says, for the hour of his judgment is come. Now, it may not be politically correct or popular to believe in the coming day of judgment, but that's what the Bible says, and that just uh, really tells all of us that this is a time to be reformed, to turn from all sin, to trust in Jesus, and to get ready for the big day. We need to believe what the Bible says about the day of judgment. Then it also says, the first angel says, worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. If we've been duped by the pseudo-scientific notion that we all evolved from monkeys, that we came from some cosmic soup, and then from the goop, eventually it got to you and me, it is time to be reformed. This is not a Bible teaching, and it's really not scientific. Uh, We have a maker who made our DNA, who made our brains, who made our our circulatory systems, our nervous systems, our respiratory systems. He put us together in a way that is just uh, unfathomable. We are, as David said, fearfully and wonderfully made. In other words, we are not here by accident. And the first angel tells us to worship our creator. Then the second angel comes along and warns that Babylon has fallen and that all nations have been duped by drinking the wine of Babylon. The wine of Babylon refers to the false doctrines and false teachings that have come to us through religious organizations, especially through the mother church outlined in Revelation chapter 17. And brothers and sisters, it is Reformation time. It's time to get back to the Bible. It's time to continue the Reformation as we await Jesus' second coming. We need to get away from all the traditions of men. Luther and his associates got away from many of the traditions that had come into Christianity. But in these last days, God is calling us to completely uh, spit out all of the wine of Babylon and to completely come back to the pure teaching of his word rather than being deceived by the traditions of men. And then the third angel warns about the beast and his deadly mark, which we'll talk about later in future meetings. In conclusion, 
Revelation chapter 14, verse 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This verse, which is verse 12, is describing a final reform. A final reform that not only involves trusting in Jesus Christ completely, like Luther did for salvation, but it also involves receiving a change of heart. Jesus said we must be born again or we can't see the kingdom of God. God not only wants us to trust Jesus to be saved, but he wants his Holy Spirit to transform our lives. He wants to give us moral strength to be different, not to be like the rest of the world, but ultimately to become part of the saints who keep the commandments of God and who have the faith of Jesus. God wants us to stand up for truth in the midst of a completely uh, mixed up, totally immoral, godless world. The Ten Commandments are extremely relevant today, and they go right together with the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross because we sin and broke the commandments. He will forgive us by his grace and then change our hearts and give us the strength to follow him completely and to do what's right in the midst of a lost world. In October of 2017, a terrible fire called the Tubbs Fire destroyed much of Santa Rosa, California. I used to live in California. I've been to Santa Rosa, and I tell you, that whole community has been devastated by this terrible fire. Well, it was amazing to me as I uh, was watching in North Idaho, watching news reports and just, you know, praying for people in Southern California, praying for my dad and for my sister and different people that live down there. It was amazing for me to discover that there was a, a story that came out of that uh, Santa Rosa fire. And what happened was that there were two people named John and Jan Pasco. And they were in their house on that night in October when the Tubbs fire started and it surrounded their home. And they, they were trapped. And they only had one option, which was uh, their only hope to save their lives. And it was their neighbor's swimming pool. So this, this couple, somewhere around midnight in October, they jumped into the cold water and they were in the water for approximately six hours. Six hours later, they came out. Uh, they were cold and shivering, and there was soot on their faces because of all the ash that fell on the pool. And as they looked around, they were uh, just shocked to discover that their entire neighborhood was gone. There were houses that were just not there anymore. Uh, walls had been incinerated. The whole neighborhood had been devastated. And there they were, coming out of the pool. Jan uh, had placed her cell phone on the side of the pool inside of her shoe, and her cell phone had melted. And as they looked around and saw that their neighborhood was gone, there was one monument that was still there that was perched overlooking the pool in their neighbor's backyard. And it was a statue of an angel, a guardian angel, watching over them. And I thought about that, and I thought, wow, isn't that amazing? God's symbols show up in the strangest places. And I thought about that fire. I thought about that couple. I thought about the, 
the protection that they found in the pool and about that angel, that statue of an angel watching over them. And I can't help but think about the future crisis that is soon to burst upon this world as an overwhelming surprise for most people. And I know that God loves us. He loves all of us. He loves you and he loves me. And just like that statue of the angel was looking over that couple in the pool, I'm completely convinced that God's holy angels are watching over you and me. The Bible says uh, in numerous places that God's angels are real. There's a verse in the Psalms that says, the angel of the Lord encamps around about those who fear him and delivers them. And in these last days, God has given us the book of Revelation, and he has given us chapter 14, verses 6 to 12, which describes three holy angels flying in the midst of the sky and saying with loud voices that we're in the time of the judgment, that Babylon has fallen, that we need to fear God and put him first, that we need to worship the maker of heaven and earth, that we need to believe in Jesus, that we need to give glory to God, that we need to not drink the wine of Babylon, that we need to avoid the beast and its image and its deadly mark, which will soon be enforced so that nobody can buy or sell unless he goes along with the mark of the beast. And I'll explain this in a future program. And then it concludes with with an appeal to all of us to be part of a group of people called the saints, who keep the commandments of God and who have the faith of Jesus. People who not only trust Jesus, who not only believe in him like Martin Luther and depend not on works, but on grace, on his mercy, on his merits, on his forgiveness and on his salvation, but who also receive the power of the Holy Spirit, whose lives are changed and who are willing by the grace of God to stand up, to be counted, to be like Luther, to stand for truth in these last days and to be part of a people who are being reformed, a people that are being purified, a people that want to not just believe, but keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus as they await the great day, the glorious day, the incredible day, uh, the wonderful day when Jesus will finally return in the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory, with millions and probably billions of holy angels to take his people home. That's what the three angels' messages are all about. The three angels' messages, really, they are God's end time reformation movement. And if you will just take your Bible, open up to Revelation 14, read verses 6 to 12 with a humble heart, And if you will pray that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes and help you to understand the power of these messages, God will open your eyes and he will convict you as he's convicted me that these messages are the end time power message direct from God himself. Just like God called Luther, he's calling us to get ready for Jesus Christ's soon return. Well, we've got a lot more to come. This is only program four. We've got six more to go. Our next one is called A Forgotten Truth That the Reformers Missed. And as we look at that topic in our next program, you will see that forgotten truth right in the middle of the three angels' messages. 
So we'll come back to those three angels in our next program. And may God prepare your heart and my heart for his truth as we await the return of his son. You've been listening to the Protestant Reformation Then and Now with Pastor Steve Wolberg of Whitehorse Media. To learn more about this topic, order your copy of the inexpensive pocketbook titled God's Final Warning, The Three Angels' Messages by calling 1-800-78-BIBLE, by ordering online at whitehorsemedia.com, or by purchasing the ebook on amazon.com.